Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball. 52 weeks out of the year, there is no offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 15th day of August 2017 from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin and Los Angeles Dodgers center fielder Jock Peterson. I told you I was going to do a couple of them this week and uh, brought on board friend of the podcast, Jason Keidel. I got on the telephone and Jason writes for WFAN. He's a terrific writer for WFAN in New York. He's a diehard Yankee fan. He's been on the podcast almost as much as any other guest. I think Lisa Swan is still in the lead by a little bit. I want to talk to him a little bit about the state of the Red Sox and Yankee rivalry, which I think is in a brand new kind of brand new unblazed trail in terms of where the teams are, what their identities are, who the cast is, and how recently both teams have won a World Series. It's very interesting, and especially when you consider chances are both teams are making the postseason this year, and that'll be the first time this decade that that's happened. So we talked for a long time. We've known each other forever. And so when you have two people who know each other for a long time, sometimes the conversation goes down different alleyways. But we had a good conversation, and we wound up talking about the state of the Red Sox and Yankees, especially on the heels of the wonderful series that just took place. So here is WFAN's Jason Keidel. Good to hear your voice again. Look what we have. Likewise, buddy. It's August, and the Red Sox and Yankees are both playoff teams. It's like old times. It's like David Halberstam. It's like we're back in 1949, you know, reading Summer of 49. I was going to go to 03 and 04, but fine, you'll go to Summer of 49. No, I'd rather not go there. Yeah, understandably why. Yeah, my nostalgia doesn't go as far back as 49. No, it doesn't. I'll tell you something, though. This is one of the things I find really interesting and what I think is uh, hope for the rivalry, which, let's face it, has been uh, a smidge stale. It has. I wrote about that the other day. Mm -hmm. I was actually teeing that up. I was trying to set you up because I remember... Oh, sorry. I I was trying to to underhand pitch you because you you did write... As always, you write write great stuff for... uh, on WFAN, and, you know, go over, I've talked about from my point of view why I think it's stale, but from you, a lifelong Yankee fan, and as as devoted a Yankee fan as I know, uh, tell me your thoughts on the the staleness of the last bunch of years, and I think we both have similar ideas for why we're optimistic for the future. Well, yeah, that's a layered question. Um, (laughs) I think there was uh, sort of a letdown after, not not on Boston's part as much as the Yankees, because, you know, the Yankees have had to sort of rehaul and reload. And, you know, they, they had a lot of iconic players leave in sort of a trickle-down method over the last few years. From No matter what you think of them, A-Rod's certainly part of that, Jeter's part of that, Posada's part of that, Pettit, um, Rivera. 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 Yeah. So we had a lot of people, we had a lot of uh, iconic essential players, not only to baseball, but to the rivalry between the Sox and the Yankees, leave over a period of five or six years. And the Yankees 
quite frankly, they don't like to address themselves as rebuilding, but that's what they had to do. They'd overhaul their farm system. They had to uh, change their corporate outlook. They had to change their financial approach to the sport and to their roster. And uh, uh, they weren't as competitive as they had been. And also, the people that are coming up, they don't necessarily inherit that rancor unless they have people that indoctrinate them. And a lot of the kids now, they certainly know that the Yankees and Red Sox are an essential uh, rivalry, and it's, they, each game, each of the 19 games is important to their season and to the standings and to the division. Uh, but there wasn't that animus that's, that had been there, certainly in the 70s. Uh, the Yankees kind of took the 80s off, but then in the 90s for sure with Pedro and all that, David Wells and what have you. And then in the early 2000s, it was brought to white heat and probably hit its apex at that point. And uh, then, of course, you guys broke the curse and all that good stuff. But even after breaking the curse, there was still that vitriol between the two clubs. And I felt that a lot of that over the last couple of years has been done. You could say, well, it's better. You don't have the the, the, the bench-clearing brawls and people are gentlemen yeah. and you know they're tired of seeing hockey in a baseball game. But frankly, that's part of what made the rivalry so juicy. I maintain until recently, the Yankees-Red Sox was the best rivalry in all sports. It beat Ohio State-Michigan. Florida, Florida State, uh, Florida, Georgia. I mean, uh, uh, Cowboys and, and uh, anyone. Uh, Eagles. <laughs> anyone. It's the best rivalry in sports. USC, Notre Dame, pick your rivalry. Duke, North Carolina. Yankees, Red Sox was the best for a number of reasons. One, they were two always competitive. They were always pining for a pennant. And uh, they were always good. And two, these are two huge cities. And, and, and I, I've come to realize this. I never wanted to admit this until recently. Maybe it's maturation, age, call it what you want. But I think one of the reasons Boston, people from Boston and New York City loathe each other so much is because we're so much alike. Oh, yeah. We just have different accents, and we hail from about 250 miles apart. But we're very similar, okay? Yeah. Very blue-collar. You know, for all the money of mar- money and marble of Madison Avenue, Wall Street, and the finer parts of Boston, you could speak to that better than I can, these are essentially blue-collar baseball towns. And I think when we looked in the mirror, we saw a lot of ourselves in them. So, and that bothered us. We never wanted to admit it. So, but that helped fuel the rivalry. So we needed that, and, and we don't have that. We have a lot of good kids. Boston, the Yankees now finally have, I mean, at least the Yankees finally have a lot of really, really good young players coming up, but they're not indoctrinated. They, they don't inherit the hatred that so many of their predecessors had. Well, I think it, uh, I wrote a thing way back before I was even podcasting, uh, probably even before you and I had any interaction, I wrote a thing about uh, why Red Sox fans and Yankee fans should be friends. And one of the things that I pointed out was, and, and you touched on that, is that the fan bases are incredibly similar. And I yes. have seen that based on, because I've been living in California for a long time, and I interact with a lot of Boston fans, a lot of New York fans. They keep that. They don't drop their fandom when they leave the city. That becomes their connection to the Correct. And In fact, they might, they might embrace it even more when they leave. I became a bigger Red Sox fan when we moved to California when I was in high school. And I became a bigger Red Sox fan than ever because right. I was alone. And that right. became part of my identity. But also think about this. Like, this was something I, I remembered what was significant about 04 in many ways was that if you're a Yankee fan, you're living in New York. If you're a Red Sox fan, you're living in Boston. There are a lot of Yankee fans in Boston, a lot of transplanted New Yorkers living in Boston, either from mm-hmm. colleges or jobs, and there's a ton of New Englanders 
who lived in New York. I lived in New York for 15 years. Right. And you often work side-by-side side with a Red Sox fan if you're in New York or if you're a Yankee fan living mm-hmm. in Boston. And mm-hmm. part of it is because the two cultures are very close. There is a little bit of Boston looks at New York as their dumber but richer brother. Mm-hmm. And New York looks at Boston as their snobby brother who has an inferiority complex. Right. And, and I'm, I, of course, was born where it bled over because I was born in Connecticut where Red Sox fandom and New York fandom kind of meets at New Haven. Like, New Haven is the end of New York sports fandom, and after that it's Boston. Um, I didn't know it went that far east. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my parents grew up in Bridgeport. And my mother was a big Ritz, a big uh, Yankee fan, and there. Are, I mean, you get to Bridgeport, New Haven, and it's really it's like all three of them. It's the way Berlin. Okay. You, the way Berlin used to be divided into the Russian and British and American zones. That's kind of what mm-hmm. Bridgeport, New Haven is. You have your Met fans, you have your Yankee fans, you have your Red Sox fans, all kind of intermingled. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a lot of interaction. And also because they're fan bases of teams that you 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 just casually talked about in 1949, you can look at the old clips of Ted Williams, Bobby Doerr, Johnny Pesky, Don DiMaggio. You can look at the clips of Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, Joe DiMaggio, Elston Howard, all of them, Ruth Gehrig. They're wearing the same uniforms. They're kind of playing in the same place, and they moved across the street with Yankee Stadium, but it's the same block. And so there is that right. lo- there is that long connection of these old timer fans, who like you know my grandfather rooted for, my great grandmother rooted for them, and, and everything. So you have that long connection that goes you know further than a century, and so they're right. very similar. That's right, and, and, and I think that's part of that's part of what repulses us so much is we <laughs> our fear of admitting that. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say that in one of the, the significant things in '04, when I don't know if you remember what happened in '04, but um, no, I don't. That was the first time, beyond the fact that it was a, a team lost a three game to nothing lead, and wow, it the, and it was a Yankee. It was it was a Yankee team. I don't know if you remembered that. But, no, was that in the playoffs? Wow. Yeah. Okay. But when you think about some of the big Yankee playoff losses. Like, if you want to go to 81 with the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, going I mean, up to nothing. Greg Nettles made those incredible catches, yep. Yeah, and and, and George Frazier being, poor George Frazier being wheeled out of the bullpen. He went 0-3 in that World Series as a relief. Right. You'd think after 0-2, you'd say, well, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll go to Ron Davis or someone else. But um, you don't think that loss to L.A., the other big losses would probably be to... Um, the Mariners in '95, Edgar Martinez. That was awful. Ken Griffey. The, yeah. the uh, um, you'd have the 2001 was the worst the, for me personally. The Diamondbacks. Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. And I talked to Yankee fans. That most Yankee fans almost put that higher up than '04. I do. I do, Sully. I absolutely do because of the juxtaposition to 9/11. That right. So much more to me. So much yeah. more. Um, and then you had the Angels in '02. And you had mm-hmm. um, Florida in '03. Now, think about those fan bases. How often do you go to work and, oh man, I'm, Roy was there and he's the biggest Marlins fan you ever met? Or I went into work and Stan and, oh man, he's the biggest Diamondback fan, and I had to listen to that. 
You never have to mm-hmm. deal with not just losing, but dealing with that fan who, oh, man, I grew up with the Angels. You never worked alongside someone who was a Diamondback fan or a Mariner fan or an Angel fan. But suddenly it was a Red Sox fan being able to give you grief. I always felt that that was an insulation that Yankee fans had, that even when you had a devastating loss. It wasn't the Boston. Yeah, it, when, when was the last time you bumped into um, you know someone who just grew up the biggest Arizona Diamondback fan? You know, it never right. happened. They were only right. four years old when they came out. Right. And I don't know if you remember the the preamble, the preface to the the 2002 Angels series, but it was considered such a joke. I forgot what it was. The the Angels combined had like two playoff series worth of experience total. And the Yankees oh, yeah. had like 600 games of playoff experience. I mean, we, it, it was just a matter of whether the Angels would win a game. Forget the series. And, of course, they whipped us. But, yeah. Well, the thing, that I, the thing that I vividly remember was that the division series was just the warm-up for the series that everyone was waiting to see, which was the mighty Yankees taking on, you know, won four straight pennants, taking on Oakland, and this was the mm-hmm. Moneyball, the team from the movie Moneyball. And mm-hmm. this was the team that went on the 20-game winning streak. That's and so, right. And so it was basically like, okay, we have to do the division series, but the main event is going to be the big bad Yankees who had defeated the A's the previous two years. The year before with the Jeter toss, right, and the tag on and, Jeremy Giambi. Yeah. And, the, and the year before that. They beat them the year mm-hmm. before that. So it was two straight mm-hmm. years. And I, of course, I was living in New York, I knew tons of A's fans who were like, all right, we somehow were even better without Giambi. I don't know how it would have happened. You know, Brad Pitt mm-hmm. was going to play the part. And yeah. they, were, they were playing the Twins, who were going to be contracted the year before. And the Yankees mm-hmm. were playing the Angels, a franchise that had never won a playoff series ever. And it was obvious that these two teams were on a collision course to meet in the league championship series. And so the league championship series was the Angels and the Twins. Neither one of the two teams won. The mm-hmm. Yankees lost to the Angels, and the A's astonishingly lost to a far inferior Twins team. And mm-hmm. that was, a, that for me, who I was, you know, I'm obviously rooting against the Yankees, and the Red Sox weren't even in the postseason. So mm-hmm. I, I was rooting for the A's mainly because I knew so many, you know, from from my days of living in the Bay Area, I knew so many Oakland fans. And they mm-hmm. were like, you know, after the 20-win streak, they were like, oh, this is the year we're going to do it. We're actually going to do it. We're actually going to do it. And, man, it, that was just, that was so bizarre. When it, okay, it's the Angels and the Twins. Okay. Was that the three-headed monster of Mulder and, and Zito and, and uh, yeah, and oh, Hudson. God, I can't remember. Hudson. Hudson, Hudson yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and the Mulder, Zito, and Hudson, who were barely mentioned in the movie Moneyball, by the way. It's like right. the, they won the division because Scott Hatterberg was taking walks. No, it's because they had three Cy Young Award winners and Miguel Tejada was on steroids. That's why they won the That's division. true. The way they portrayed the movie is because Jonah Hill knew exactly how to measure on-base percentage. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I have no doubt that helped, but having a Cy Young contender pitch you know, three out of every five games. That also helped. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just exactly. I'm just, you know, Miguel Tejada won the MVP of the American League that year. I think he has two lines in the movie. It's like, yeah, I think he had more to do with it. Yeah, right. 
You know, the guy who won exactly. the MVP, Zito won the Cy Young Award, Tejada won the MVP. I don't think mm-hmm. Zito's in the. I don't think Zito's mentioned in the book. It's like no. You think no. that? It wasn't he important? He won the Cy Young Award, wasn't he uh, vital? No. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. Maybe it's because he had such an abomination of a career outside of that when he went to the Giants. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they had bad blood. I don't know. No, I just think it. It, it was. I, I. I. I have. I'm not going to go on the. I'm not going to go on, off the rails too much on this because I actually like the movie Moneyball as a movie. Um, but I think if you try to watch it as a docu, it's like the movie JFK. I think the movie JFK is a great movie in terms of it's well made, it's well shot, it's well acted, the technical qualities are all spectacular, but if you actually sit down and listen to the stuff being said and break into any critical thinking, you go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That, that's, that's, that's not even factually accurate. And then you, mm-hmm. you, you'll do the same thing with Moneyball. So if you watch JFK as a mystery movie, a very well made mystery movie, you'll enjoy right. it. If you watch it mm-hmm. as historical research, your head will explode. Same thing mm-hmm. with Moneyball. Moneyball is a story. If you watch it as a story of a guy who's been dealt a bad set of cards and he's going to find a creative way to play with them, it's a really well written. Brad Pitt's wonderful in it. You know, it's a good, solid movie. If you watch it, right. here's what really happened with the 2002 A's. Ah, not really. <laughs> right. <laughs> not really. Well, you know, it's 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 cinematic when you romanticize it in a way that in a way that makes Billy Bean look more like a genius or Jonah Hill. You know, it's just it's it's different. I mean, they, they portrayed Art Howe. I mean, folks, see what I'm oh, yeah, as this, as yeah. this boneheaded Neanderthal. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, Art Howe is a baseball lifer who won right. back-to-back 100-win seasons with a right. low-budget team. And yep. and if you ever saw what Art Howe looked like, I mean, look at Philip Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, rest in peace, was a great actor. Yes, but he, he's, he's a doughy-looking dude. And if you ever saw mm-hmm. Art Howe, look, he looked like Bruce Willis. I mean, he was That's this right. big, he's this big, tall, strapping, muscular guy with a bald head. And right. And his players loved him. Like Scott Hatterberg said, like the movie portrayed that you know Art Howe would you know was kind of freezing out Scott, Scott Hatterberg and wouldn't play him. And he's like, what are right. you talking about? Art Howe embraced me the minute I showed up. He, he, he helped me out all the way. But it, it right. doesn't it doesn't fit the way the they made it look in the movie was that Billy Bean won all those games in spite of Art Howe, not right with his help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I'm glad we're yeah. talking about the Red Sox Yankees as we're breaking down the movie Bunnyball. But, um, yeah right. <laughs> um, I'll tell you this is this is my favorite fun fact about this year with the Red Sox and Yankees. Uh, I personally think I think both teams are going to make the postseason this year. As flawed as both teams are, I do think the Yankees are going to hold on to one of the two wild card spots. They mainly, should. Be, mainly because I mean every other team is like within three games of the wild card at this point. They'll win it by default. Yeah, I agree. That yeah, I think just when I mean, you look at Tampa, Kansas City, Anaheim, uh, I, I think I say Tampa Bay, uh, Minnesota. Um, there's probably there's another team that's in there that I'm not thinking of at the time. Oh, uh, Baltimore is even still in at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're all they're all super flawed teams, and the Yankees are a flawed team. But I think they have more strength than those teams. I think the Yankees will win 
will wind up winning about what I predicted. I thought they were going to win about 85, 86 games. I think that's about what they'll wind up winning, and that should be enough to get one of the two wild card spots, and they'll play God knows who. <laughs> really right. Well, well, I'll tell you, Sully, and, you know, again, uh, being in New York City and writing for the radio station of record, I, I'm a little more in tune to the New York mood than you are in California. So I will tell you that everybody was bearish on the Yankees entering the season. Everybody thought they were one year away, you know, that they were going to get better, but they weren't going to be as good as they turned out to be. I, I did, too. I did, too. I, that's my prediction, too. Yeah. Exactly. They were 12 games over 500. They were three games up on the Red Sox, and everything looked like they were going to run away in the division, blah, blah, blah. This is more like what we thought the Yankees, I thought the Yankees would be, struggling, scuffling, you know, slightly better than 500 ball club. Uh, I do respect the fact that they got Sonny Gray and Garcia. Um, what they're saying is we're not going to just write this off to a rebuild. We're going to actually try to make some moves and go for it this year. I don't think anybody thought they were a World Series team, even with these additions. But I respect the fact that they weren't giving up on the season and they were able to do it without giving up their blue-chip prospects, especially right. Viber Torres. And um, so I, I agree with you. I think they'll win the wild card by a couple games, and then either Dallas Keuchel will shut them out. I mean, they won't this year, but somebody will shut them out, and that will be that. But at least they went for it. And I, I do respect that. And then I think next year they'll be really good. Right. And i I got to look at it. I've been one to trash. Uh, I've been in the Lisa Swan camp in terms of trashing Cashman over the years. But I have so have I, but he's done a good I, job. Recently. He has done a good job the last few years. And and he the the deals he made involving Chapman and Miller last year have Chapman alone, out. Sully, revamped the entire farm system. Right. Yep. And the the one thing he screwed up with that is he resigned him. But that's a different right. that's a different part of the conversation. Right. They, they got well the problem is Lisa Swan is is his bashed him for so long she feels like she's tethered to that position and because she's bashed him for so long she doesn't feel like she can give him credit but you can hate the job someone's done for 12 years and admit years 13 and 14 they did a good job but maybe she just isn't willing to do that well that's like a bunch of the giant fans i know who hated barry Zio for all those years but when he won game one of the world series against justin verlander they're like, oh, we love you. Well, now we love you, Barry. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Worth every penny. Worth every penny. Um, that's right. But uh, yeah, but look at I'm, I'm not. A, I don't think overall in his career I've been a fan of Cashman uh, in terms of the moves he made. But you have to be honest. You have to be objective. And and he's the moves he made last year. And basically, what he's doing now is a thing that you. And me and Lisa Swan and every other Yankee fan. Not that I'm not that I'm a Yankee fan, if you, but the people who watch the Yankees understood that what Yankees the Yankees needed to get younger instead of getting older. You wrote a great article about how Jacoby Ellsbury's contract is kind of the last remnant of the Yankee mm-hmm. mentality of let's just sign a superstar to a huge contract and have it hang over their heads. Right. Have it, and that look at one thing that I've been yelling to not just the Yankees but to the Mets is the notion that the the bullshit notion that New York fans want to see stars they just want to see imported stars which is incorrect they want their own stars they want their own that is correct stars and we want Aaron Judge right mm-hmm. to bring it up there hasn't been a Yankee that I mean since the oh, I hate to use the term the core four but you know, Aaron Judge is that new star. 
Sully, we've only developed one star since the core four. Robinson Cano, that's it. That's it. In this country, one star. And we traded him. Right. Let him go, rather. Sorry, yeah. Oh, he'll be back. They always come back. Yeah, when he's 36, we'll take him back. Great. <laughs> so he gets a 3,000 bit and he's stumbling. Right. But, right. yeah. But, though, but look at, I believe that, you know, Sanchez and Torres and I think eventually Clint Frazier, who was a who was part of that was part of the Miller trade, right? They got him from yep. I mean, these are the That's players that the, and even and do you want give Didi Gregorius credit? I was Gregorius has been a revelation. A revelation. He's been fantastic. That I mean, I I knew he was going to field well, but his mm-hmm. his bat his he's batting as of this recording he's batting three oh six. His OPS is eight thirty three. He's been wonderful. He, you know, and he has. He has 18 homers. And who bought 18 homers out of Gregorius? In August, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, you know, so you've got to give, you know, and the, these were, you know, Frazier and Gregorius and some of these were, were cash moves, and they didn't trade Judge. They didn't trade uh, Torres. Uh, they didn't trade, uh, what's his name, by Glaber. How, do you, how the hell do you pronounce his name? Is it Glaber Torres, yeah. Glaber Torres, thank you. I, I, mm-hmm. And that's, Look at their creating, and and another player you got to give credit to. The Red Sox smacked him around the other day, but Severino. Severino. He's been our ace. He's been our yeah. ace until that. Yeah, absolutely. He's been, you know, you, you he's twenty what twenty three, twenty four years old. He's having a wonderful Correct. season, and and I'll and give and by the way, give the kid Montgomery credit too because he pitched, you know, inning for inning, matching sale until the six or seven. Mm-hmm. The other day, yeah, he sure I mean, did. So you're you're seeing a nice foundation for a team that's not just move, you know, not just for this season, but you know, for next year and the year beyond. You got to look at them as a AL East contender. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you know, another thing, Sully, which and this is, I'm glad you mentioned Severino because he's part of the narrative I'm talking about. No one expected the Yankees would be this good because Severino gave you no indication he would be this good. No, the bat exactly. gave no indication that he would have some sort of renaissance. You know, he's obviously been hurt, but I mean, still, you know, a lot of the Yankees are pitching better than anticipated. So, and a lot of the hitters, like Gregorius, are hitting better than anticipated. So, we didn't see this coming. But once they started off so well, then they, this is what Yankee fans do: the entitlement rolls back in. All of a sudden, they start projecting they're going to be thirty games over five hundred. They start wearing the Got Rings T-shirts again. And all the asshole Yankee fans who no one likes, not even fellow Yankee fans, start coming out of the woodwork. You know, you know who's the perfect symbol of this season for the Yankees is Aaron Judge, because he, at the well at the All Star break he was he was in the lead for all the triple crown categories, yeah. mm-hmm. and people were saying, is he going to hit fifty home runs? Is he going to hit sixty home runs? Is he going to win the triple crown? Is he going to win the MVP? And then he's now he's one game from tying Adam Dunn for the most games in a row with a strikeout. He's at thirty-one right now. <laughs> you know he, he hit a home run last night, but you know he's yep. been his his average and his OPS has just plummeted since then. I don't think he did anything against the Red Sox in the three-game series. No, no, and, and it shouldn't shock anybody. He's a kid, you know. Yeah. He wasn't going to hit like this all year. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't because of the home run derby. I'm so sick of that narrative. Oh, <laughs> swing that way. Just stop it. It's, but think about think about this is the sort of thing that that you know if I had said at the beginning of the year 
that we would be, we're right now, we're, we're, the day we're recording is the 15th day of August. On the 15th day right. of August, the Yankees would be 62 and 55. They would have, they would have the home field in the wild card game. And every Yankee fan in the world would say, take them. Absolutely, we'll take that. We'll take that a thousand times in a row. And if I said, if I said, here's going to be Aaron Judge's stats. He's going to have 36 home runs. This is in the middle of August. 36 home runs, 79 runs bad in. He'll be batting 289. His slugging percentage will be 608. His OPS, <laughs> his OPS will be 1.028. You would think, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. We would take that. We would, you would take that as his end of the year stats. Of course, let alone, let alone with a month and a half to go. But since he had thirty at the All Star break, everybody's like, "Oh, what's happened to him? Oh, what's wrong with him?" Yeah, of course. Exactly. Same thing with Gary Sanchez. When you right. look at Sanchez, he's his OPS. He's got twenty home runs. He's doing. He's twenty home runs. You get yep. twenty home runs out of your catcher. You're getting eighteen home runs out of your shortstop. Yep. You're. You're doing this where you had a Tanaka had an awful, awful first half of the season. Awful, awful. Sabathia is hurt. I mean, this is the sort of season that if you if you told us all those different things, I would assume they have a losing record. And instead, you know, I, I don't think they're going to catch the Red Sox. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Red Sox fan. I do think of course that, not. You know, I don't I think, either. But I do think the Yankees are going to be a playoff team. Right. And the only, the only guy Sully who's disappointed from Whistle the Gun has been Greg Bird. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's been a oh, eyesore. Are you are you are you dealing a baccarat table right now? What is happening there? It sounds like oh you're... no, I just took ice out of my ice tray and put it in my soda. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you're dealing with something. But I can't drink a soda straight. I have to have I have to have rocks. I have to have soda on the rocks. I, I, I'm the same way. I, I it drives it drives some people in my family crazy. But I have a I have a Kate and Leo iceberg in every glass that I ever drink. Even if I don't chew them on, just need that ice in there. And I have to have. I'm so quirky. I'm one of those people who doesn't step on the cracks on the sidewalk. And I have to have an even number of cubes in my soda. Can't be three or five. It has to be two or four. Okay, you're playing okay, You're okay. You're crazy. I, I don't have yes. that. Well, th- think about this for a second, though. You've got the Red Sox and the Yankees. In all, pro- unless one of them has an absolute nosedive, um, mm-hmm. they're both going to make the postseason. For the first time, they'll both be in the postseason this decade. It hasn't happened mm-hmm. in 2009. And right. when you look at the cast of characters that the Red Sox have and the Yankees have, there is nobody left from 03 and 04. The entire cast of characters has turned over. And I think that's one of the really interesting things when you see the two teams are getting good at the same time. And we rattled off Sanchez, Gregorius, Judge, Severino, um, uh, uh, Frazier. Some of these players. Yeah, these players like, hey, look at And and then Glyber Torres is on his way. You're like, oh, Mm -hmm. man, there's 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 a nice foundation there. Then you go over to Boston. You have Bogarts. You have Ben Attendee, you have Betts, you have Bradley, you have the kid uh, uh, Devers, you have you know you, you have a nice little core, you know Christian Vasquez with that big home run against Cleveland in one of the weirdest games I've seen in a long time, mm-hmm. and you know you're still when Pedroia is still there, you know it's kind of like the elder statesman, which I can't believe I'm old enough to say that. To say that about Pedro- laser shows, yep. <laughs> Pedroia is the elder statesman, but he is at this point. He's, I yep. believe it's the only one left over from the 07 title. 
And but so that speaks to what I was talking about before, Sully, which is that's why the, the, the rivalry has been a bit stale lately because a lot of these kids don't realize they're supposed to hate each other yet. But I think what makes it interesting is if you have these two teams get good and they both have, they're not just filled with stars imported from other teams. Correct. They're, they're, your point, they're, you know, Judge, he's a Yankee. Gregorius, who Correct. was traded, but he was, you know, he was a minor leaguer when they picked him up. You know, he's a Yankee. You know, mm-hmm. your, your overstatement is Brett Gar- is Brett Gardner, I think. Yeah, he is. He absolutely is. But, oh, by the way, the Yankee fans in New Yorkers love Gardner, and everybody sure. should. He's, he's exactly what you like in a baseball player. He's our Pedroia. He's not as yeah. good, but he's our Pedroia. Yeah, he's kind of like, and again, he's not as good as this player, too, but he's kind of that, like that Roy White, the lifelong Yankee who doesn't put up the biggest stats, but, you know, is Funny reliable. you say that, Sully. I was at Yankee Stadium a few years ago with Sweeney Marty, the beat reporter, the Yankees, mm-hmm. the great Yankees beat reporter for WFAN. And I was I was there behind the batting cage during batting practice, and I met a lot of the Yankees for the first time. This was maybe five years ago. Anyway, of, of all people, Roy White was there. Let me tell you something. Uh-huh. He is the nicest man in the world, Sully. This guy talked to me for like 20 minutes. I had no idea who I was. I could ask him anything I wanted. He was just so charming and self-effacing and just wonderful. Anyway, I just want to throw that in there. Roy White is just a wonderful. And, and Robinson Cano was the nicest, unaffected star I'd ever been around. This was when Robinson Cano was at his peak. Very, very nice man. Very nice man. Roy White was one of those players that was like, even a Red Sox fan, you can't hate Roy White. He's just a pro. No. And right. he, he never was the super. He was a, he was a damn good player. I mean, not, like you couldn't hate Willie Randolph. You couldn't hate right. him like that either. Yeah, and and uh, both of them, both Willie and Roy White, won rings as players, and then were later on the uh, coaching staff with Tory. We picked up some mm-hmm. extra rings with Tory, as with as did Chambliss. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, but it's I'm gonna it's gonna be an interesting moving forward for if you have a brand new squad and the narratives of the two franchises. We're in a we're in a brand new world. Because both the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to have a brand new cast, mm-hmm. most of homegrown, homegrown stars. Not so you can't say, oh, they imported. Oh, no, they're homegrown stars. And both fan bases have had recent championships. Mm-hmm. 09 for you guys, 13 for us. And the, mm-hmm. ours, ours is more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to throw that in there. But yeah, it, just had to. Mm-hmm. The rivalry will be different because for generations it was always the Yankees win it all the time. The Red Sox come so close, but they fall just short. Both teams have the big superstars, and that animosity comes from partly, at least from the Red Sox world, that vitriol of "God damn it!" Mm-hmm. You know, so apparently what someone yelled in the press con- in the press box when Bucky Dent hit the home run off of Mike Torres. And there's still people mm-hmm. in Boston who think Mike Torres was acting as a double agent, that he intentionally <laughs> wanted to have his former team win that game, and so he grooved one to Bucky Dent. There, there's, there, there's, this is the mentality. And someone right. apparently was yelling, they did it to our grandfathers, they did it to our fathers, and now they're doing it to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that all that Puritan New England bullshit slapping yourself in the back with, with rods and everything. And right, that, right, right, right. That's gone. Mm-hmm. And so neither fan base is long-suffering. Right. And 
it's a brand new kind of rivalry. Yeah, the dynamic has changed entirely. These aren't your daddies. Yeah, Yankees and Red Sox, no doubt about it. No doubt. And it's going to be interesting because I, look at I love, personally, I love this new group of Red Sox. And I'm so glad that, you know, they won in, when they won in 2013, obviously there was the Boston bombing, Boston strong, no one was expecting it. We all, of course. You know, you know, it was, it, and David Ortiz's wonderful little speech to the crowd. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Which should be chiseled under his statue. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. But With the profanity team, involved. With the profanity oh, included. Absolutely. Ha- highlighted, italicized. <laughs> but, but those were a bunch of guys who were only there for a couple of years. Victorino, right. Napoli, Gomes, even Koji, who I love Koji, but he was only there for two or three years. This, this, and so it wasn't like we didn't get to know them that well. They were like a bunch of strangers who won us a championship, and then, oh, wait, wait, I, I set out donuts. I just was getting to know you. Um, this, But with this group, these are players who, you know, Bogarts and Benatendi, these guys are going to be around for a while. We'll get to know them. And this outfield of Benatendi, Bradley, and Bats, the Bees, I'm looking mm-hmm. at them like, look, I'm being a little, I'm getting a little ahead of myself with them, but... I'm hoping that'll be like Rice, Lynn, and Evans. Like every year, you know that's what our outfield is. And right. I think that it will be good for the rivalry, and I think it'll be good for baseball to have a Red Sox-Yankee rivalry where the players aren't swiped from other teams. Okay, we swiped Chris Sale away, fine. But Pablo Sandoval. No, he's back in San Francisco. <laughs> I know. But that was an evil empire move. That was bonehead. That was pure bonehead. Oh, I, I hated that move from the start. I said, if you're going to spend that. Awful. Oh, man. It, you know, it, <laughs> ah, that was so good. I love that. I really did. Oh, I still love that. Oh, just one. And it was one of those, like, it, it, it was like, well, who could have predicted that? I don't know. Everyone? Uh, everyone. I know. He was only 100 pounds overweight. Yeah, you're right. But, um, and, you know, and David Price has not been the best fit in Boston so far. But no, but you can understand that move. How much money did you give Big Panda? Oh, God, too much. He, he, in, <laughs> in, in 2016, when the Red Sox won the division, he played in, mm-hmm. I'm not even going to look it up. I'm going to say eight games. He, like, had, <laughs> he had, he had, like, 11 at-bats the whole year. He didn't get a hit the whole year. Right. And in that one game, <laughs> In that one game in Toronto, he swung and missed, and his belt buckle exploded, and and he had to get a new belt. And you know, when you say he literally just he, he literally broke more belts than he got. He hit. literally imploded, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he, he he broke more belts than he got hits for the season. Oh, oh. You know, that's and and the and. When they put him on the disabled list, it was like, oh, he has a shoulder issue. I'm like, really? And I, I, to this day, I think the management came out to Pablo. We are going to be mm-hmm. so much better if you are not here. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to send you the checks. All the checks are going to clear. But you need to get out of here, sit in a whirlpool, maybe order the small every once in a while, and right. come back next year. And you couldn't do a Crawford. You couldn't trade him for a bunch of prospects. Oh, I bet they tried. Oh, I bet yeah. they tried anything. I bet they yeah. said, we'll, we'll give you a, a, you know, a flat can of Sprite, you know, in exchange for Pablo Sandoval. But, you know, but, hey, look it. I, I'm, you know, I think I'm obviously not rooting for the Yankees, 
But I right. think it's good for I think Red Sox Yankees is good for baseball. It's good and for everyone, Sully. It's like as much as I hate the Dallas Cowboys, it's good for football when the Cowboys are good. It just is. It's good for basketball when the Celtics and Lakers are good at the same exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, It'd be good if the Knicks are good, but I forget that. That's never going to happen. I don't even understand that concept, the Knicks being good. No, um, no. But, but I, when the Red Sox designated Sandoval for assignment, I, was, I kept looking because there was the rumor that he was going to come back to San Francisco, the only city where he has any goodwill. Um, right. But I kept looking to see if the Knicks were going to sign him. Just to see. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if I told you that they were that they were going to sign Sandoval, you it would be unlikely, but not impossible. No, and Phil Jackson would have been the guy to do it, but unfortunately, got ruined. By the way, I, were you and I the only person people in the world who were saying, you know, Phil Jackson's never been a GM before. He's been a coach, but he's never been a GM before. Why? Dude, are you I was on that train before everybody. I told him it wasn't going to make any difference. I told him he would do nothing to make them better. I was called an idiot, just like when I said Carmelo Anthony would do nothing. I was called an idiot. I don't know anything about basketball. Why don't I go back to football? Why don't I go back to the, the hole I came out of? And I was exactly right, and I haven't heard one apology since, or retraction, nothing. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was with you because it was like, wait a minute, like, I mean, I I have no ill will to the Knicks. None. Zero. I would love Mm -hmm. I I actually, honestly, I have no ill will to any New York sports team except the Yankees. Uh, And I've been very diplomatic about the Yankees in this particular, you know, phone call. But, you know, I'd love to. I understand what the Knicks mean to that city because Mm -hmm. in so many ways that's the unifying team. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can have... Jets and Giant fans clashing, and you have Devils and Ranger fans clashing, and Mets, Mets and, and Yankees. Yep, absolutely. but everyone. But sorry, Mets. Everyone roots for the Knicks. The Knicks are That's everyone's correct. team. And, and forgive me for borrowing a hockey term, but certain franchises like the Red Sox, Yankees, Knicks, these are original six franchises. These are foundation franchises. Right. It's just good for the sport. Like it's great that the Dodgers have have not lost since the Korean War. I mean, it's just good for baseball when the Dodgers are good. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to see them in Brooklyn still, but there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, well, they're you know they're doing all right in L.A. They're doing all right in L.A. They're they are. They're doing very well. They're drawing great in L.A. and 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 of course, who's managing them? I can't root for them because of who's managing them. He's the guy who stole that base and turned the whole damn whole three series around, whole four series around. You know, I I as I made a prediction. I was on the podcast Sports Without Balls with my friend Aaron Foley. This was about a month and a half ago. And she said, "What's your World Series prediction?" And this was, yeah, this must have been in late May, early June. And I said, "World Series is going to be Cleveland versus Los Angeles." And she said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "L.A. is going to click." Terry Francona against Dave Roberts. That's right. And I said, "It's going to be yes. a red. It's going to be the greatest Red Sox fan consolation prize." Last year it was Terry versus Theo, um, and this year it was it will be Terry versus Roberts, and it was it's basically. The two straight World Series where they, they have to show clips of the '04 World Series, right? Um, right. But but yeah, I mean, if it's uh, you know, I'm the poor Cardinals. Wild. Didn't the Cardinals win like 108 games that year, and you guys swept them? Like I knew the Cardinals had no chance. They had a hell of a baseball team, but they I just did. knew after you beat the Yankees, you were going to sleepwalk through the Cardinals. I just they, knew it. They Carpenter was hurt. That was the big right. thing. They they yeah. plowed through the, the regular season, but they barely beat Houston. They barely yeah. had, 
that Houston series was really underrated. It had it had right. back it had back to back walk off homers. Jeff Kent right. one day, Jim Edmonds the next. Um right. and it was because everyone was paying attention to Red Sox Yankees. Right. Houston St. Louis was a great seven game series where Scott Rowland hit a three run homer off of Roger Clemens in the seventh inning with the Astros mm-hmm. leading in game seven. The Astros had a lead late in game seven. And the mm-hmm. Cardinals came back and they won. And I I was watched because the, the Red Sox had clinched the night before at Yankee Stadium. Um, and the, the Bloody Sock game and then the, the game seven. And then Kevin Brown for game seven, oh, please. Exactly. And, uh, and then Javier Vasquez came in and let up the two Javier Johnny. Vasquez. And that was, oh, and he let the two, the two Johnny Damon homers and then that was yep. it. Um, that was that. And so I knew the Sox were in the World Series. And I, even though the Cardinals won a hundred and something games that year, mm-hmm. I wanted the Cardinals because the Astros went on an unbelievable tear. They had a losing record at the All Star break, and they had a they went on a tear the second half. They mm-hmm. beat Atlanta, a team they never beat. They beat Atlanta, mm-hmm. and they got to a seventh game. They were up three two, and they lost Game Six in extra innings. Was Oswald the uh, ace of that staff? Oswald was on that team, but yeah. uh, but Pettit was on that team, and Clemens yeah. was on that team. I think was that Pettit, when, when Pujols hit that 550-foot home run, and, and you could see Pettit saying, oh, my God, when he hit it? No, that, that, was that, the next, that was the next year. That was the next, the next year. year. Okay. Yeah, that okay. was the rematch. Yeah. But <laughs> the Astros were on such a tear, and Clemens was pitching so well, and I think Pettit may have been hurt. I may be wrong, but I know Oswald was great. So it was like fun. Mike Scott. You didn't want to see Mike Scott in 19 Right. And, right, and I was like, the, you know, they, you don't want to have that team that's on the huge roll and the huge run. And this was only a year removed from the Marlins stunning everyone from winning the World Series. And that Astros right, Josh team Beckett, re- yeah. Exactly. That Astros mm-hmm. team reminded me of the Marlins. And I'm thinking, like, I don't want to face this Astros team. And, and, right. I, and I did the math in my head. And just, just close your eyes and imagine this for a second. Mm. If it had been Astros... Red Sox in mm-hmm. 2004. Game seven of that alternate universe World Series, game seven would have been on Halloween in Fenway Park, and the two scheduled pitchers would have been Pedro Martinez and Roger Clemens. My God. Imagine the curse on the line. It's Halloween. It's Pedro versus Rocket Clemens. at Fenway. Wow. That wow. would have been... Forget the Super Bowl, forget the you know, forget the moon landing. Like it would have been the highest. Every eyeball would have been on that, and you knew right. something would have happened. Like a gargoyle mm-hmm. would have shown up, a pterodactyl would have flown in. Something weird Absolutely. would have happened. Absolutely, absolutely, you're right. And so when it was the Cardinals, and I just did the math in my head, it's like they don't have Carpenter. So they have Supon and Marquise. And mm-hmm. uh, there was another guy, uh, Woody Williams, and I just looked and said, we have Schilling and Pedro and a deep mm-hmm. bullpen and our lineup. And I'm like... And then you had that reliever, was it Folk, who was on that Folk. ridiculous run? Folk, was, yeah. Folk was, the, was, I mean, Ortiz was the MVP. The guy threw like 80 season. miles an hour no one could hit him. Yeah, absolutely. And he, and he basically put his career on the line in that playoff series. He just kept mm-hmm. coming in. He was unbelievable. And by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Keith Folk on Twitter constantly will reply. 
if I tweet anything at Keith Folk, he'll always reply back. Huh, that's great. And so he's, uh, I have no idea what he's like as a person, but, you know, I'm sitting there going, the guy who clinched the World Series, the minute I knew it was the Cardinals, I said, we're going to win this. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was going to be a sweep. Of course. <laughs> I thought they were going to win in five or six. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they just, the Cardinals didn't have a lead for one inning in that series. It was just a monumental ass-kicking. Yep. And, and I may have made this analogy with you before, but I've equated that World Series to the, the 80 U.S. Olympic team because everyone remembers, do you believe in miracles beating the Russians and everything like that? And that wasn't even the gold medal game. That yeah. wasn't the gold medal game. <laughs> everyone yep. thinks that's the gold medal game. Maybe Sweden medal- or Finland. I forgot who it was. Sweden or Finland I, I, in the finals, yeah. And the fact that you have to say Sweden or Finland that you don't yeah. remember. Everyone I know. remembers the, the game right. against the Russians. Do you and believe in miracles? Yeah, you're right. What they remember about '04 is the bloody sock, the Dave Roberts mm-hmm. field, the A-Rod slap, mm-hmm. the Ortiz home runs and everything like mm-hmm. that. No mm-hmm. one showed. The only clip they ever show of the World Series is the last uh, out. The last out. <laughs> Back to yep. folk, you know, Renteria grinding right. up the folk and, and right. throwing it to Mankiewicz in the pile. There's, well, the great highlight of that series was, what, a Mark Bellhorn homer? I mean, right. I mean it was like, it was, it, it was, it was a, such an anti. It, in a way, it was an anticlimax. But after that series, I, I I remember I was in L.A. I was at a screening of a film I directed that, that you know, went for Game Three, and then afterwards I was at a bar in Los Angeles with a group of friends of mine watching the final game. Mm-hmm. And the, most of my Red Sox fan friends had this look like you, we look like lions in the Serengeti looking at gazelle. Like, is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen? Um, and there was a couple of more casual fans who said, like, wouldn't you want to see them maybe lose a game or two and clinch it in Boston? And I kind of stared at them and going, like, I just saw a team lose a series where they were up three games to none. Okay? Right. I've, I've waited long enough. It'll be just as nice in St. Louis as it is in Boston. Trust me. Right. <laughs> I don't need that shit right now. Right. And, um, and yeah, they won it in St. Louis, and, and it was great. You know, then they, and right. that way they were able to have that, that Beatles landing in America moment when the plane landed at 5 o'clock in the morning, and the, and the tarmac at Logan is just jam-packed with people, and they're, they're waving their hands and everything. But well, I'm sorry. I didn't, last... I didn't, I didn't mean that's to right. drag you down a 2004 rabbit hole, but what are you going to do? No, that's all right. The only... The only rebuttal I have, and, and it's, I know it could be apples and oranges, but in terms of the hot team theory, didn't you guys smoke a team in the 2009 World Series that had won like 29 out of 30 games or something like that? Yeah, the Rockies. In, o, in 07, yeah, the Rockies won. Oh, 07, sorry. Yeah, That's when A-Rod announced he was opting out during that series like an yeah. asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I was, remember, I was dumber in 2004. My team, I was so, I was still amidst all the superstition because they hadn't mm-hmm. done it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, narratives are written in, in, in reverse. You know, the first three mm-hmm. games of that series between the Red Sox and the Yankees, when the Yankees ran up the 3-0 lead, the narrative right. was... The they Yankees scored 19 were, runs in that third game, I think. Yeah. And it was it was 19-8, and I kept thinking, imagine if the Red Sox rallied but fell by one run and they lost 19-18. That would almost be perfect. <laughs> yeah, but, right. But the... Uh, 
the, the narrative for the first three games were well, the Red Sox are sloppy, they've got the long hair, the baggy uniforms, and mm-hmm. the, the idiots, and the Yankees are clean, tough, they're classy, they know how to win, and mm-hmm. that just shows one team's a professional team and the other team's a bunch of slobs. And right. then at the end of the series, the series became the Red Sox were loose, the Red Sox didn't let things bother them, the Yankees were too tight. It's like, yep. No, it was that game seven, Derek Lowe pitched, let up one hit over six innings, and mm-hmm. Kevin Brown only got five outs. That's what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the Red Sox bullpen suddenly became unhittable, and once they got past Rivera, you know, you, you're you relying on Esteban Loaiza and Paul Quantrill to save the <laughs> Esteban Loaiza, yeah, you're right. Well, you know? what's that cliche? History is written by the winners. You know, that's how yeah. it goes. And the narrative is always written in retrospect. Yeah, it's always it's always so clear in retrospect. You know, like oh yeah. well, we all knew that was. Good. It's like it's like I'll tell you, this has nothing to do with Red Sox Yankees, but I'll tell you one thing: you're you're sick of people bringing up the um, to the home run derby when they talk about Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, yeah, yeah. One thing I I, I never want to hear again is the pep talk that Jason Hayward gave during the rain delay of Game 7 of last year's World Series. You've heard that a bunch of times, that you know, sure. there was a rain delay, and in the clubhouse, Jason Hayward gave his big, big pep talk. And then mm-hmm. the Cubs were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they came out, they scored mm-hmm. two runs. The Indians only scored one, and they won the World Series. Right. I, mm-hmm. guarantee, I guarantee you that if the Indians had won, we'd be hearing about, like, Mike Napoli or... Somebody or or Carlos Santana or one of their big veterans giving a I someone gave a pep talk in the Indians locker room too. It wasn't like mm-hmm. the Indians were being like Ricky Henderson and Bobby Bonilla playing cards in there, you know, eating chicken wings and and beer and playing video games. I bet they were pretty intense too. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if if you need someone to give you a pep talk. In the tenth inning of Game Seven of the World Series, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's that to me is like, and I kept hearing you, know, Hayward, man, he didn't have a great year, but he inspired the team with a pep talk. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, well, hey, um, it was a pleasure, uh, my friend. Let's get. Let's do this. Let's meet again in a month. In one month, it's on. The Red Sox are, and see where the Yankees are. And, um, man, this is good for me. Hey, before I let you go, um, uh, I would follow Jason on Twitter, at Jason Title. Um, and I'll, leave, I'll put a link on Sully Baseball and on Twitter. Uh, he writes great stuff, not just baseball, but great football stuff, great basketball stuff, great boxing stuff. Uh, really good. Really good. And, and I tend to agree with you. A couple of times we disagree, but I tend to I tend to agree with what your stance on this. When, when we're being objective, we tend to uh, have have certainly uh, intellectual symmetry. I agree with that. Yeah, uh, that's one, that's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah. But what, tell me what you're working on now. Uh, right now, Sully, I'm being deluged with this. I know a lot of people laugh at it, but a lot of people are going to watch. McGregor Mayweather. A lot of people are going to tune into August 26th. So uh, that's my focus, and I have a column coming out. Uh, based on the game tonight between the Mets and Yankees. So my editor wants me to focus on how Sonny Gray pitches his first uh, 
his first start at Yankee Stadium since he was traded to the Bombers. So that will be out on CBS New York, WFAN.com tomorrow morning. All right, cool. Well, I'll try to get this up before then. And, yeah, if, uh, we beat the Gr- if they beat the ground, they'll probably sweep the series. That's what people are thinking, and I, I tend to agree with that. I agree with that, too. Uh, that was a interesting win they got last night with uh, yep. you know, Judge Homer. I give the guy credit. Yep. I give, you know, he, he homered, and, and the kid who, who started for the Yankees last night, was that um, was it Sessa started for the Yankees? Yes, yes. Yeah, he, let, mm-hmm. he let up a couple of homers, but they were so And long. then the trainers walked him out in the fifth, I think. Yeah, exactly. But they've got this guy Green. I don't want to go on too long. I got to go. But this guy Green has been unbelievable. Uh, this uh, I think twenty three of the last thirty five batters he's faced, he struck out. So yeah. our bullpen is aside from Chapman, uh, our closer, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, well, yeah. Green's like your new Mendoza. He's like the guy. Exactly. He's the tile grout that never gets the credit, but you know. He's, exactly. He's credit. Exactly. Critical. The less said yes, about Chapman, the less said about Chapman, the better. Um, exactly. All right, man. Well, hey, great, great talking to you. Uh, I'm gonna Likewise, talk. buddy. And uh, you know what? It's good for baseball. Good yes, for baseball. you tell me when you're free next month, and I will be, I will be at your service, sir. Done. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Jason. Follow his stuff, read his stuff. He writes really great things. We went on a couple of different tangents that I actually cut out for this episode. I'm going to keep in my back pocket. Maybe I'll have a potpourri episode later. So follow Jason Keitel on Twitter and read his stuff on WFAN. You can go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, on everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker, Patrick Kaliski. This has been Sully Baseball on the 15th day of August 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Do you know what? You can call me Sully.